Welcome to the Easel Studio Podcast. This is the audio version of an episode that was originally broadcast on easel.eu. If you wish to watch rather than listen, go to Easel Campus to see all the episodes on demand. Hello, welcome to Easel Studio, your weekly hepatology broadcast news. I am San Franca. I'm a hepatologist at the University Hospital of Antwerp, and I have the pleasure to be your host today. We tackle the little bit provocative question whether we can solve MESLD by treating obesity. That's what we will discuss today. Now, 2023 was an important year because we changed the nomenclature. We left behind us non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. We're now talking about metabolic dysfunction-associated steatotic liver disease. And one of the aims of that change in nomenclature was to really point out that metabolic factors like obesity are important in driving this disease. So the question is really relevant. Can just by treating obesity, can we solve the problem of MESLD? It's more particularly relevant now because 2024 also announces to be a very important year for the MESLD field. We are expecting, the community is expecting, that in the upcoming months we will have the first anti-NASH drug approved. So that will change the landscape, or probably not, because we have already some tools to treat obesity. And I have some very eminent colleagues here with me to discuss this topic, and I just would invite them to briefly introduce themselves. Cyril? Good evening, everyone. I'm uh, Professor Cyril Cossi. I'm a diabetologist and nutritionist at uh, Lyon University Hospital. Thank you, Dimitris. Hello, I'm Dimitris Bob Margaritis. I'm one of the associate professors in uh, diabetes and endocrinology at the University of Leicester. Thank you. Well, Peter? Hi, uh, everyone. Uh, good evening. I'm uh, Willem Peter Brouwer, and uh, I'm a hepatologist in the Erasmus University. Uh, a medical center in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. So thank you very much. So you see a mixed panel to discuss this topic. And one of the first things I think we, we need to discuss is, yeah, if this disease is indeed in part driven by obesity, how can the treatment of obesity positively affect this disease? What are the mechanisms? How far do we get with this treatment? Cyril, please, what's your take on that? I think it's an excellent question. It's also uh, complicated because it's always the question whether we have uh, this uh, uh, accumulation of metabolic factor, we have obesity, probably some in some patient type 2 diabetes, and then we have MASLD, as we call it now. So trying to identify whether you improve one of the factors will impact the other factor is something that is highly relevant. We do have... Um, some data that has been produced a long time ago demonstrated that if you achieve a weight loss greater than 10% of the initial weight loss, you will have an improvement in MASLD, in hepatic steatosis, in NASH, potentially in fibrosis as well. But the question is, uh, is it always, we, we've seen also that it's difficult to achieve this 10% of weight loss. And uh, now we have multiple tools to address this issue about uh, treating obesity. We have new therapy uh, that, have, that have been approved also. It's been a, a really moving field for the obesity treatment. And uh, 
what we do see is that probably this will impact uh, the, the the treatment of Nash as well. But what is really interesting is the, that the therapy such as uh, semaglutide that is now approved for the treatment of obesity is also under development for the treatment of MASH. We don't have all the answer because the study is currently ongoing in phase three, but very promising results uh, from the study in phase two uh, in a randomized control trial where we did see improvement in NASH or MASH, but uh, did not see any improvement in fibrosis, which makes us wonder whether it would be a tailored uh, intervention depending on the uh, type of uh, uh, improvement you're looking for? Do you want to improve NASH? Are you targeting more severe patients with advanced fibrosis where we see that it may be less efficient? So we still have a lot to understand. For sure, there's a benefit in losing weight in any means, but uh, we need to understand better the, the liver impact of uh, these new therapies, and this is currently ongoing. And Dimitris, there's also yeah, we know that if you have 3% weight loss, 5% weight loss, 7% weight loss, it can make a difference. Why is the amount of weight loss um, potentially important? What's the mechanism behind it? I think that we look about thresholds of weight loss that they improve specific complications related with, uh, with uh, obesity. And we should think about MSLD uh, and mass as, as one of these complications. So uh, the, recent, the most recent data from the uh, bariatric surgery, which uh, a, a big trial published recently in Lancet called Braves, demonstrate actually that if you achieve 30% uh, weight loss with the gastric bypass or 25% with the sleeve gastrectomy, this not only can improve the inflammation uh, from the mass, but also can improve uh, at least one stage of fibrosis for this population so and the benefit was additional up to the uh, weight loss of 20 percent after 20 percent weight loss the benefit was less so this gives you approximately what could be a weight loss target that you need to achieve with uh, uh, without medications for example in order to see these improvements that you want to see you may see improvement in inflammation at 10 percent weight loss and you may see improvement in fibrosis in more than 20 percent weight loss uh, and as as real says we have plenty of, we have not only semaglutide, which has been approved but also trisepatide that has been approved currently for weight loss which is very important because we need to think about treating the disease of obesity. The problem with the lifestyle interventions is the weight regain. So at the time that the, uh, your body is in a weight loss state, what will happen is that the, your appetite will go up and your energy expenditure will go down. Your body wants to push you back to the weight that you were before. And that's why it's so difficult to lose and maintain the weight loss. And that's where the medications that suppress appetite that we have currently are coming. And that's the the main help of these medications is to help not only lose weight but maintain the weight loss and um, whether these agents will have a dependent effect on a liver outside the uh, weight loss that we can achieve with this is something that uh, is under investigations uh, the most uh, promising of these medications probably will be in the next generations, the ones that will have also glucagon into this 
some initial data suggests that these are very effective in reducing the fat, the, the, the steatosis into the liver. Uh, however, whether they improve inflammation or uh, they improve the histology, uh, this is something that has not been investigated that needs further investigation. Mm-hmm. And do, do you think it's it's important this this weight lowering treatment at any stage of of in the spectrum of MSLD mesh? Well, Peter, what do you think? I think so. Actually, um, I think that it's probably better to uh, eventually start earlier. So now in the trials, we have uh, the trials uh, jumped in F2, F3 or even F4. Um, but but I think that if we uh, treat it earlier, that we can probably um, um, yeah, prevent the, the complications of uh, um, going to the liver disease and, and having a liver fibrosis. Um, so so yes so my, my take would be to 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 start a little bit earlier but right now we have to first prove that it um really works um and that we also see uh, see fibrosis uh, re- regression and um now this is a really difficult question because uh, indeed uh, like with weight loss and with uh, uh, gastric bypass um so we we've seen a lot of um, improvements in 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 fibrosis um, and with the first round the simbacrutide uh, not not yet but maybe uh, in the phase three trial we'll see uh, this so this is n- not something we can say uh, just yet uh, but if we look at those trials in um, with with uh, with gastric bypass and with uh, with weight loss then. Um, uh, uh, I think that it's it's um, it's achievable, um, and, and even so, um, uh, after a longer periods of time, because I do think that we sometimes we need to give it a little bit more time to to achieve uh, fibrosis regression. Actually, because I do think that if you um, uh, take away the uh, etiological factor uh, like f- uh, fatty uh, depositions and inflammation uh, then after uh, a while and i don't know how long but um, uh, i would I, w- I would think that it would uh, Im- improve and that's what you also see in the in the gastric bypass uh, studies actually um so yeah but but if you look even further so we have this this the the, the last trial in semaglutide for uh, uh, cirrhosis then the conclusions are that uh, we don't see the regression um so that's um possibly too little too late but um also um if you look at trials in gastric bypass and cirrhosis then um after longer periods of time you you do see a regression of fibrosis so i'm i'm quite hopeful for that but i don't think that we should wait until the later stages well, i think indeed I, I would like to challenge that a little because in in the bariatric surgery trials with long-term follow-up you you do see patients that do not regress fibrosis especially f3 f4 patients some of them seem to improve the numbers are better after five years then then on the baseline biopsies but still uh in in some of the patients the the stage of cirrhosis is is not resolving and it's also what we saw with with the semaglutide curious to 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 hear also uh Cyril and dimitri's take on the fact that with semaglutide for example in the trial despite the year and a half of treatment and substantial weight loss substantial 
effect on the steatohepatitis, hepatitis, which is what we conceptually think is the driving force of fibrosis. Nevertheless, there was no regression of, of fibrosis. A little bit puzzling and a little bit challenging that treating obesity really solves the problem of MESOD or, or not. I think you totally agree, uh, and we've already tackled that, but just to go further, uh, probably there will be therapies that would be most suited for early stage. We don't even mention hepatic steatosis, just the, the, the very beginning of the disease, very, very early stage. This is where we have the most benefit of uh, weight loss therapy, including uh, bariatric surgery. So this is also a way to completely cure the disease. You don't even have a, a significant amount of uh, hepatic steatosis in the liver, so you completely uh, reverse the presence of uh, MASLD. And then when we move different uh, around the different stages, uh, we clearly see that uh, it will be more challenging to uh, achieve a regression of fibrosis, especially in this specific population, F3 compensated F4, as we talked about uh, the trial that have uh, uh, looked at the efficacy of uh, semaglutid 2.4 compared to uh, placebo, and we did not see a significant re reduction of uh, fibrosis stage. However, what we did see is a decrease in some uh, parameters that are associated with fibrosis, which seems to indicate that there could be uh, a benefit, uh, but it wouldn't take longer to demonstrate. The, the other key take-home message is that, and we've shown that in the uh, phase two trial, uh, again, with semaglutide, when we look at those who progress, and we clearly see that it seems that there's, there's a lower proportion of patients that will progress towards an um, increased stage of fibrosis. And this is also very clinically relevant. It's uh, really challenging to design uh, the perfect study that could show that there's a benefit in terms of progression because you would need a lot of patients and a long duration of time potentially. But at the end of the day, if we are able to maintain the patient of, of the zone of advanced fibrosis, if they stay in this zone where they may have some lesion of NASH, but they will never progress to the more severe stages, this would be also very important. And potentially as well, and this has been something, a concept that has emerged a, a few years ago as well, we know that we probably will need multiple combination of therapies that one could target more inflammation and hepatic steatosis, induce weight loss in order to make sure that there will be no relapse because we mentioned the relapse of obesity. We, we, we are quite aware as well that even if we achieve a resolution of NASH at some point, what we don't want is that the patient uh, relapse and uh, they go back to a state where he would gain weight again, have again liver inflammation. So with combining multiple therapies, then you can have a therapies that would regress the lesion of inflammation, fibrosis, but also prevent the, the main driver, which is probably increase of weight loss uh, um, along the time. So I think this is really important. Yeah, and you also touched upon an important point that it's not just regression of fibrosis, but also the absence of progression. And progression to cirrhosis has been approved as an endpoint in, in clinical outcome trials. So that could be that could be right for sure. Dimitris, you also touched about uh, glucagon, and we have, of course, the, the, the dual and triple agonist. 
Do you really think that that might make a difference in terms of mechanism of action beyond just weight loss and have an impact on fibrosis or not? I don't know about the impact on fibrosis because there is no evidence or I'm not aware of evidence regarding this. But regarding the steatosis at the liver, there is clear evidence that the, and published evidence also uh, that the, the new agonist, one of them compared directly to semaglutide for diabetes dose, the one milligram, and the one that the comparison was ephinopeglutide is the medication which is undergoing currently clinical trials for uh, uh, mass and the MSLD and demonstrate that the, uh, the combination of GLP-1 and glucagon led to 70% reduction in uh, liver fat compared to 40% reduction with semaglutide for similar amount of weight loss. So uh, there is a weight-dependent effect, a direct effect to the liver, which is uh, actually probably due to lipid oxidation that is happening with uh, glucagon and reduce the fat into the liver. Now, whether this will be translated to histological improvement and improvement in fibrosis, this is what the trials, the phase two trials that I'm going probably will give us some initial evidence regarding the uh, GLP-1 and glucagon agonist. Um, and I think that an, another one way of thinking, except of uh, if we're looking about specific fibrosis, uh, it may be that we combine that weight loss that we achieved the G with GLP-1s and all of this with medications that may have established effect on fibrosis like the FGF-21 and uh, things that you, they, they have more benefit on fibrosis. So my view on uh, what should be the time point that we intervene actually uh, we know, I, I just have in my mind the, the concept of diabetes. We know that we can uh, create diabetes remission the earlier that we intervene, okay? But whether um, this will be a cost-effective way uh, and whether we can identify who is having a higher risk of progressing, so you focus on this population through a marker, uh, by chemical marker or whatever, uh, I think this will be important for the future because obviously bariatric surgery is not scalable in population level to achieve this amount of weight loss. But if you have to use medication and to use the medications in a cost-effective way so people will have equivalent access, you need to identify who will be the people that will benefit more. It's very likely that you cannot use to all the people with uh, uh, MASLD. You need to identify people with mass that they have the higher risk of progression. That's that's my understanding as, as, as diabetologist, at least, of uh, how uh, it could be the concept. Mm. Yeah, but it's, it's a challenging point uh, because, indeed, yeah, do we need to treat just steatosis or do we, for cost-effectiveness reasons, uh, just focus on, on more severe types of disease and, and how will we identify them and who is going to do what? Uh, Willem Peter, what, what, what's your take on it's, that? It's, it's a really difficult question, actually. No. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Um, but I, I, I agree with Dimitris that it's um, uh, it's it's very uh, important that that we have like a cost-effective cost uh, treatment and and uh, we cannot probably uh, treat all uh, patients. Uh, but I do think that that we need a holistic approach um and um uh, and th this is something we can achieve with with this type of medication indeed and um and and it's uh, well it's probably um 
I think that we could go for a cost-effective strategy if you uh, tackle uh, more uh, uh, comorbidities, right? So with uh, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and also uh, uh, MSLD. Um, so, but the um, the question is if if you need to to treat um, uh, someone with only MSLD for uh, with probably one comorbidity uh, with with this this type of agents, that's that's I don't know. I do think that we need more information about natural history and how it further progresses. Um, data is still a little bit lacking in that area um, and to further identify uh, uh, patients who will have a, a yeah a aggressive disease course in, uh, um, in 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 uh, in comparison to to those who will actually not have uh, a, such a course. And I do also think that uh, that we need to uh, focus on um, on age in this matter because uh, the the older the patients get, um, um, the the yeah what we've seen in population based study uh, studies actually is that um, uh, that that these these patients do not uh, really die of liver disease but really of cardiovascular diseases, um, and and the and but we. Yeah, that, that's something to 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 uh, to have in mind, I think, um, and we don't have the answers for that right now, but uh, um, something to uh, to consider. I think uh, if I can just comment on this, I totally agree, and I think there's a lot of things that we can uh, actually learn from uh, the field of diabetology, or at least there are many similarities that can be applied here, and even in the field of obesity regarding uh, timing of uh, drug uh, implementation uh, as, or intervention, because uh, for example, prior to bariatric surgery, you need to uh, at least engage in a lifetime modification program. And uh, even though we know it's challenging and that we will not achieve 100% of uh, improvement through lifetime intervention, there are some patients that respond pretty well. And uh, for those patients, probably it's okay. Uh, they will engage change their lifestyle and there won't be needed to engage in further medication or intervention. On the other hand, and I totally agree, the holistic, uh, holistic approach, trying to understand the, the way we will tailor the, the intervention and which treatment would fit better to which patient in terms of like precision medicine, which is really a field that is moving forward, uh, we can also uh, totally take into account the fact uh, of the presence of cardiovascular disease. This is already implemented in the guidelines for diabetology when we would prefer some treatment, such as uh, inhibitor of uh, SGLT2 um, inhibitors of uh, or GLP1 receptor agonists because they have demonstrated a benefit. So providing that we also confirm this uh, protective effect with some drugs uh, regarding cardiovascular events, we would need to, you know, prioritize the patient with already the highest cardiovascular risk or some the patient that already have a cardiovascular event to be uh, the priority target for these therapies because the benefit would be so much higher compared to others. And same thing, if you have multiple comorbidities Mildly patient with obesity and type 2 diabetes, then the choice becomes obvious because you will 
you know, have a multiple benefit of some drugs such as the GLP-1 receptor agonist, triple double agonist that will also improve diabetes at the same time. So I think this is really something that we need to embrace and the field of hepatology need to embrace and don't be afraid to look at the other comorbidities and how you could classify your patients in terms of uh, future therapies as well. And this is this also um, because there was another question from from Sven about who is going to uh, who needs to be the be treating these these patients. But this is already a little bit of the answer, I think, because it's just a multidisciplinary approach in this sense. I think that that's my opinion, but I'm not okay. sure how. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think also that from a liver perspective, because that's obvious the bias I have. And that we, we should not always regard it as a liver indication. I mean, if there is just fat in the liver, it's probably not an indication to treat the liver, but it's a sign that there is something metabolically unhealthy and that globally the patient is not in good shape and something needs to be done, not specifically to solve the liver, but just take the liver as a warning sign of something that is uh, that needs to be that needs to be tackled. No. And it may be also an indication for a further investigation of the patient for further metabolic complications. I mean, in the majority of the cases, uh, liver probably will not be on its own uh, having ectopic fat. It may have underlying diabetes. It may have underlying heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. It may have underlying obstructive sleep apnea. So it may be something that uh, you need to think when you see a patient that they present with metabolic uh, complications to obesity and I, I fully agree with everything that has been said regarding cardiovascular protection uh, as well as multidisciplinary approach uh, absolutely absolutely maybe maybe it could could also drive the choice of of agent later on um because with, with the dual agonists with uh, uh glucagon with which might have like direct effects on the liver uh, in terms of inflammation and oxidative stress and um, possibly also uh, fibrosis. If someone already has fibrosis, um, it, it might be better to have like a combination. Uh, so dual agonist or maybe triple than uh, maybe only uh, a single um, Maybe, maybe in the future it, it becomes apparent and and um, can make choices on basis on uh, which comorbidities are present. Actually, so that's that's something I I would think. I think also that cardiovascular outcome trials, uh, as Cyril says, is, it will be very important because this is one of the main reasons why you choose medication, especially people with established cardiovascular disease. You want to give them something that will make them live longer and prevent cardiovascular events. So uh, it is a more complex picture uh, to take into account when you need to make these decisions. It becomes more and more complex. Uh, medicine and metabolic medicine, cardiometabolic medicine, definitely. But this is good problems that we have to, to solve and see the evidence. I think so, yeah. We have been splitting up everything in different organs, but in the end, everything is linked to everything. So. Everything belongs to the same patients, so... <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, what, what also brings me to my next question, because we're talking about weight loss and adipose tissue mass, fat mass, but what about the muscle? Because if you induce weight loss, there's some concern you might also lose muscle uh, mass, and which is important in every patient, but the more advanced liver disease patient, and especially the cirrhotic patient, it's even more of a concern. 
something that with those agents or with bariatric surgery we should be worried about? Yes, uh, I think that the, there is evidence uh, uh, for semaglutide that approximately uh, 35 to 40% of the weight that you will achieve will be due to lean mass, but the, you, the majority of the weight that you will lose is due to fat mass. So the body composition, it improves, but especially for the populations that we are saying, uh, it is important uh, to maintain uh, your as much lean mass as you can. With the receptor, it appears that it is a little better. They lose a little more fat mass compared to lean mass. But uh, what uh, is important is uh, we're not just giving communication. As we're saying, we need them to the approach. So this patient needs to ensure that he's having some consultation regarding protein intake, uh, also support for uh, increasing physical activity. So he is trying to maintain as much muscle mass as possible. With the glucagon agonists, they create hypoaminocytemia, which has been shown in in vivo models that may reduce further muscle mass. So we need to see, it is very interesting to see what will be the body composition changes uh, with the dual and triple agonists and whether things are getting, uh, in comparison with GLP-1s, better or or worse, uh, or in comparison with tricepatide. That would be really interesting. Yeah, and this would be one parameter as well that we may be taken into account. You know, mean I mean assessing uh, muscle mass and function prior to therapy in order to make sure that the patient also have the proper management regarding uh, any risk of uh, sarcopenia, for example. So uh, we will never get away from lifestyle and you know physical activity counseling and nutritional advice, uh, even if we have. Uh, just the drugs to take. Uh, and this is also really important to, to tell to the patient and educate them in order to have a, a very optimal uh, management of the, of the disease. Yeah, it's, um, it's a real teamwork, the management of those patients. It's not, it's not just us physicians, it's also a lot of other uh, healthcare providers that, that we need to, to have with us. A final thing, perhaps, and then we go really to, to the end of the spectrum. And again, the, the, the patient with cirrhosis and, and portal hypertension. Do you think we still can start those drugs in, in those patients? Well, Peter, what do you think? Uh, I would be quite reluctant, actually. Um, I, I do, so the the the, the previous uh, SEMA trial uh, with uh, the, the in in compensated cirrhosis patients uh, uh, was was safe and effective and uh, well safe uh, actually sorry um, uh, but um, uh, well we we didn't see any fibrosis regression and I don't think we are really treating the portal hypertension uh, with this and. Uh, I think that a lot of patients with with um, with portal hypertension uh, also have this this sarcopenic uh, um, or, or quite sarcopenic. So I would be quite reluctant. I'm not sure if 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 I, I do think that we um, with these patients they they probably pass the point of uh, of no return for for this type of medication probably. Um, but I, yeah. There's a small study from Annalisa Bezdigotti's group from a few years ago, not specifically in MESLD. It was uh, a mixed etiology of uh, portal hypertension patients, but that were put on a weight loss program and there was some improvement in, in HVPG, but that's so far the only data I know 
in terms of specifically looking in portal hypertension. And I agree that specifically the issue of sarcopenia is something in those patients that needs particular attention, even if we have the safety data from, from the semaglutide trial. Uh, Syria and Dimitris, any? Yeah, I, I agree. I think there is not enough data uh, of safety in this population. I mean, you know, randomized trial try to make sure that uh, we'd actually have a, a, a positive uh, risk balance, uh, benefit risk uh, balance. So I would be very cautious. And uh, I think I agree. Maybe uh, it's unfortunately probably too late to. Uh, hope for an improvement just by improving metabolic disorder in this patient. And uh, this advocates for early screening, detection, and uh, you know, early treatment. Yeah, you may, may very well uh, shift more towards uh, antifibrotic uh, therapies, maybe. Um, like if, if one day we have those. Yeah. Um, so that, that would possibly be a, a good option, but... Uh, but still, we don't have the data, so it's just speculation. Yeah. However, um, we did not, it's maybe a little bit off subject, but there's a lot of also question when this patient reached the point of uh, liver transplantation, where we have endless discussion whether we, we should, you know, uh, make them lose weight prior to the transplantation or, or after. And I totally think that uh, once the patient is engaged in a, a, a liver transplantation, don't miss the point where it will regain weight and need, you know, probably a therapy, additional therapy to uh, prevent a relapse of uh, liver disease as well. This is also something that we need to uh, think about. Yeah, that's a topic for our next studio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because we are now coming at the end of this studio, so I would really like to thank my three uh, co-people, I would say, for this very lively discussion. I hope you enjoyed it. Many thanks for joining us and enjoy the rest of the day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Bye -bye.